Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. All right, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning, students. I suspect you will not be falling asleep like many of you were trying to do at our last session at camp, including myself. Um, So glad to be with you all this morning. It's always a privilege to get to stand up here and do this. I, I recognize that um, candidly, there's a lot of student uh, directors and pastors and ministers across the city who don't get opportunities like this to stand in front of uh, the adults, big church, if you will, um, and so excited uh, for this. Um, this is really a continuing conversation of the conversations that we had at camp. So adults, welcome to what is effectively the last session of camp. Glad you guys could join us. I um, mean, you didn't have to drive nine hours, so congrats to you. Uh, We had a great time at camp, really, really good time. Lots of memories, fun memories. Like I said, long, long bus ride where um, some movies were watched, some memories were made, funny photos were taken. Um, I think there are a few incriminating ones of me, but that comes with the job description. Um, And uh, there were a few nicknames given as well. I won't say those now, but I know that there are some nicknames given as well as a result of various circumstances. And uh, it, was, it was a really good time. We had a great time. And one of the things that makes camp so great is that you're able to just get away, right? You're able to just step away from what's happening um, and really get away from it all and focus on Jesus. You literally uh, retreat to the wilderness. Um, the closest town was not very close. Uh, let's just put it that way. I don't really know exactly how far, but it wasn't very close at all. And so we were able to get away, right? And really just focus on the Lord. And while camp is amazing, camp is a really, really good time. As we, stole, as we told students this past week, camp is not real life. <laughs> uh, camp is not even close to real life. And that's what makes camp so awesome because while you're there, it's just you and your buddies and your friends and you're learning about the Lord and there's zip lines and cool water and awesome temperatures and right, an, an amazingly loud worship, um, and it's all just all sunshine and rainbows, right? But eventually, you've got to come back home to real life, and students and leaders, for that matter, um, have to come home, and back pretty, pre- pretty quickly, reality begins to set in, right? Uh, the noise of everyday life begins to get louder and louder and louder, And for some of our students, that noise begins as soon as we hand them back their phones and they get back on the bus, right? For others, it's not until they get home and fight with their siblings or maybe one of their parents. Not that that would ever happen, of course. Um, But, you know, maybe there's the rare tiff that happens, right, students? Thank you. Thank you for that acknowledgement. For others, it's not until they get home and get around their friends or they have to go back to work or whatever it may be. But for all of them, eventually, the noise of life begins to set in. 
It gets louder and louder and louder, and it becomes harder and harder to focus on the Lord. And this camp high that we once had begins to fade away. Where we were on fire for Jesus has now been lost. And try as we might, we can't seem to get it back. And so we begin to wonder whether we really did hear from the Lord or if it was just some sort of emotional camp high brought on by a lack of sleep, sunburns, and sugar. And it's really easy to see this phenomenon in our students because they go to camp every year, right? And it's easy to warn our own kids like, hey, you know, there's this camp high, be careful. And, but my guess is, is that while you might not go to summer camp anymore, although you could if you volunteer in student ministry, you do have vacations, you do have retreats, or maybe even just slower seasons of life where connecting with the Lord seems a little bit easier, doesn't it? It seems good and easy and sweet. You get up in the morning and it's like, yeah, he's right here beside me. It's a lot easier to tune in to what he has to say, but eventually, for whatever reason, whatever the circumstances are, the noise around you will begin to rise and get louder and louder and louder, just like it does for our students. There are all sorts of responsibilities at home, projects at work that are running behind. There are bills to be paid, kids to feed and chauffeur and bathe and take to the doctor, (laughs) people to care for and mentor, family members in the hospital, yards to be mowed, meals to be prepped, the immortal cycle of laundry and dishes that have to be washed. You finish and then it's like, I just did the dishes. How can there be more dishes? There are workouts also to be followed, right? All of, and all of that is just this week. That's just like the regular everyday stuff in your life this week. And on top of all of that is this unconquerable pile of emails and texts and notifications and podcasts and shows that, no, we haven't seen that one yet, but it's on our list. The noise around us is loud, maybe louder than it has ever been for anyone ever. Students by nearly any measurement, if you look at surveys of students and what's happening in and around their lives, by any measurement, by any survey, they are the most tired, most burned out generation of students ever. That's really not that close. But the truth is we as adults are too far behind them. Whatever your demographic is, right? Whether you are um, uh, uh, closer to a student's age or, you know, maybe closer to... uh, Well, just older. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) My guess is, is you're probably pretty tired and burned out too. And every survey, every study that we look at would confirm that fact, not just with you in your chair, but with anyone else around our city, our state, and our country. And I want to be clear that some of this stuff, a lot of this stuff that we're busy with is good. We should be busy with good things. That's really, really important. The Bible, for example, is clear that children are a blessing from the Lord. We love our two little noises very, very much. But as they run around the dining room table for the eighth time in a row, chasing the dog who's getting progressively louder in his barks also, and Moana blares in the background. Some of you say amen to that. Our noises, our children are loud, both literally and figuratively. And they're a blessing, sure, but man, sometimes it's like, hey, can we just like chill? Which a 15-month-old doesn't understand. But again, I don't need to tell you any of this. You're like, yeah, I get it. 
Because odds are that many of you feel this in your souls. And some of you, more than just in your souls, you feel it physically in your bodies, right? In your heads as you lay down at night and in your chest as your anxiety begins to rise. And it becomes so easy for us to lose the signal from the Lord. We feel like we can't hear the Lord anymore. We know he's there, he's standing right beside us. He's promised to never leave us, but we can't seem to get back on track. And this idea is perhaps unsurprisingly reflected in science. How many times does the Lord reveal things to us through his nature, right? Something called the signal to noise ratio. Signal to noise ratio says that when a signal, the thing you want to hear, is more powerful than all of the background noise around it, then you will hear the signal, right? That's what you will hear. Students, there used to be a thing called the radio, and you'd have to turn a dial to get to the radio, right, to find a specific station. You couldn't just, like, push buttons or something. You had to actually tune it in. And when you didn't tune it in the right way, what would happen? you just get noise, static, right? And that's what happens. When the noise is louder than the signal, all you will hear is the background noise. And this is exactly what's happening to us, isn't it? When we get away, when we slow down, the signal is loud and clear. But if we're not careful, then the ratios begin to get off and we can't hear anymore except the droning static of our life. And so the question becomes for us as Christians, how do we make sure that the signal, the voice of the Lord is loud and clear? If you've got your Bibles, devices, whatever, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 7 and 8. We'll bounce around a little bit too, but that's kind of our main section here today. So as you turn there, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Uh, First and 2 Timothy are written from one follower of Jesus, one uh, believer to another from Paul to Timothy. Obviously, we've been hearing a lot about Paul in Acts. We even meet Timothy in his origin story here uh, in Acts. Uh, Timothy is a young man. He's learning what it means to follow the Lord, to grow in his faith, and to lead and pastor a church. And so Paul writes to him two really, really encouraging letters. And if you haven't read them in a while, I would encourage you to do that. They're really, really good. And here in 1 Timothy 4, he says this, verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. This is pretty straightforward, right? Seems pretty obvious what Paul is talking about here. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but instead do what? Train yourself for godliness. Paul essentially tells Timothy to cut out the noise around him and instead train for godliness. The word used here is the same root word as gymnasium. We might also say focus, discipline, work on your godliness, right? All synonyms that Paul could have used here. What though is a training in godliness? What does that really mean? Well, let's say if I wanted to learn how to become a better cook, what sorts of things might I do? Well, I could buy a cookbook, right? I could uh, watch some cooking shows and actually like try and take notes. Usually I just watch them to because I'm bored. I could buy better pots and pans and knives. I, I, suppose, I hear that helps. I don't really know. I don't think I've ever had a sharp knife in my life. 
I could also, of course, just start cooking more, right? I could do all of these sorts of things. The point is, is that to become a better cook, I need to spend time invested in the things that will make me a better cook, right? So what is training in godliness? Well, put simply, it's spending time invested in doing those things that will bring about godly attributes in my life, in your life. This is how we keep the signal. Amidst the noise of our crazy, hurried, loud world, we train in godliness. But whose example should we follow? I don't really know much about training in fitness. I know there's some folks in the room who know like a thousand times more than I do, which isn't saying much, but I don't know much about training and fitness, but I know that getting the right trainer makes all the difference, right? If my trainer tells me to just eat Twinkies and honey buns all the time, instead of working out, then I probably won't ever get that fit, right? Having the right trainer, the right person to train us in godliness makes all the difference, doesn't it? And if that's the case, then when it comes to growing in godliness, when it comes to becoming more holy, when it comes to growing in Christ-likeness, then who else should we emulate other than Christ himself? Is there anyone more qualified? No, of course there's not. Of course there is no one more qualified to show us how to train for godliness than God incarnate, right? Or to put it in church terms, we must become disciples of Jesus, Disciples of Jesus. Discipleship is a really funny word, isn't it? It's a word that you don't really hear outside of uh, church a whole lot, right? It's a church word. If you heard the word discipleship or disciples outside of uh, church, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of intense, right? (laughs) I'm a disciple of Mike Gundy or Brent Venables or whatever it is. You'd be like, oh, you're like a super fan, (laughs) like really into this, aren't you? (laughs) Even in this state, you would be like, oh, Easy, right? Discipleship, it's, it's a funny word. We don't hear it a lot outside of church. If you're around redemption for any period of time, like 30 seconds, it uh, doesn't take us long, you will hear us talk about how we want to make authentic disciples of Jesus who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. That's what we are all about because that's what we believe the Bible is all about. Authentic disciples of Jesus. That's what we're trying to do here. That's why we gather. That's why we have RSM. That's why we have small groups, right? Men's groups, women's groups, prayer groups, on and on and on. That's why we do all of this stuff. Why though? And and what does this really mean? What does it mean to be an authentic disciple of Jesus? Well, my bet is that most of us, when we hear the word disciple, we often think about knowing stuff, about having more knowledge, a lot of learning. And that would be at least partially Correct, but there's more to discipleship than just knowing some stuff. In the first century, in Jesus's day, when people said they were a disciple, this meant that they would spend uh, literally uh, every moment, every waking moment and every sleeping moment too, an extraordinary amount of time literally following around their rabbi, soaking up everything that they could. They spent every moment with them. They learned what they taught, how they taught, when they woke up, when they went to sleep, where they shopped, how they ate, and on and on and on. Everything about their rabbi, their teacher, they were trying to soak up. We, Jeff referenced this a few weeks ago, I believe, but a common Jewish blessing was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be following so closely that the dust from your teacher 
covers you like that little pin, pig pen guy in Peanuts. <laughs> the goal of discipleship wasn't just to learn some things. It was to know everything that your teacher knows and to be like them too. The closest idea we have in the English language is something more like an apprentice. The idea of an apprentice, as you all know, is that you work alongside someone until you know everything they know and can also do everything that they can do. <clears throat> Excuse me. So for example, if I wanted to become a plumber, I would eventually become a plumber's apprentice. And at the end of that apprenticeship, the goal would be that I know how to plumb a home, right? But I can go to any construction site and I can do what plumbers do, whatever that is. How would I know how to do all of these things? Well, it's because I had spent time with my teacher and he had shown me what to do. And see, I could read things from a book or watch a video and get some learning done about the ins and outs of plumbing. And, I, and Lord knows that I have. I've watched lots of YouTube videos about plumbing and done more than a few repairs at my home, some of which are not completely up to code probably. Because I am not an expert, right? Just because I've learned some things does not make me an expert. The only way to become an expert to be is to spend time with a master plumber, observing them, observing them, copying them, emulating them, letting them correct me and show me how things are supposed to be done. And so it is also with each of us as disciples of Jesus. If we want to be like him, then we need to spend time with him. We need to do what he does and acts like he acts. One pastor puts it this way, to be one of the disciples of Jesus is to apprentice under Jesus. Put simply, it means to reorganize your life around three basic goals. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus and at this point, you're probably wondering, well, what are all of these things? What are these practices of Jesus? That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at just a few of them. <clears throat> How is Jesus spending his time training for godliness? Let's look at just a few of these. Right? First, one of the things we see him do is public worship. Jesus is regularly gathering in the temple and the synagogue for teaching of God's word and for fellowship. He is also reading and memorizing scripture. Jesus is constantly uh, quoting and or referencing scripture. Just, I mean, all the time, right? He's asking people questions about it. He's quoting it himself. He's saying, have you not read? Do you not understand, right? All of these sorts of things. The most famous example of this is during his temptation in the desert where three times he rebukes Satan by quoting scripture. But he also quotes a lot of scripture, like I said, in lots of other situations too. And he could only have done that if he was consistently reading and memorizing God's word, right? He's also praying a lot. Jesus is praying a lot. And you're like, yeah, of course he does. Jesus famously teaches us how to pray in Matthew 6, right? With the Lord's prayer, our father who art in heaven. <clears throat> but we also see him praying a ton. He prays in public, but we also see him go away and pray by himself or with the disciples by himself. 
Silence and solitude is another really common thing that we see him doing. He's getting out, right? It was not uncommon for Jesus to go away by himself, not even with the disciples. They're like, where is he? (laughs) Usually when they find him, uh, he is praying or just sitting there meditating on scripture. He does this especially a lot after being around large crowds or difficult circumstances like in John 6 when he hears the news about his cousin's death, John the Baptist. says that he goes away for a season, for the night. Lastly, Sabbath rest. We regularly see Jesus in the synagogue teaching or resting with his disciples, friends, and family. Uh, I love the passage, um, I believe it's in uh, <clears throat> Matthew um, or Mark, it says that he, he goes to the synagogue, he teaches, and then he goes to uh, uh, Peter's house. That's what we do, right? We go hang out, we go to a friend's house, grab some lunch. These are just a few of the, few of the things that we see Jesus doing and uh, not only <clears throat> teaching on them, but he is practicing them as well. This is how Jesus lives, Despite his incredibly busy schedule, which is, I don't care how busy you are, Jesus has more going on than you do, okay? (laughs) A lot more going on than you do. Despite his incredibly busy schedule, Jesus is regularly carving out time to make sure to do these things. And like I said, there's lots more stuff like this, right? Communion and community is a thing that he's doing a lot too. He's always making sure to carve out time for this sort of thing. And over the centuries, Christians have come to call these practices and other things like this spiritual disciplines. Why do we call them that? Well, we call them that because just like any other thing that we have going on in our life, anything that we want to grow in, it takes work. We have to work at it. It takes training in godliness. And spiritual disciplines is a great word. I think it's totally fine. It's the word I grew up in and probably most of you all too, right? But I have a sneaking suspicion that if we call these the practices of Jesus or the habits of Jesus, then we might be more apt to actually do them, including me. Because we get scared when we hear the word discipline and rightfully so. But the truth is we uh, we use discipline every day at home, at school, in our sports and hobbies and jobs, we use discipline all the time. These practices of Jesus aren't just things to uh, discipline ourselves. They're a way of life. Why though would we even want to do them? Cool, it's great for training in godliness. I can see that Paul tells Uh, Timothy, that he should train in godliness. That's all well and good, but why should we do this? Well, uh, look again at 1 Timothy, verse seven. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training, verse eight, is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Working out and being healthy is of some value in the here and now. Godliness matters both in this life and in the life to come. Because godliness matters for today and for eternity. 
We train in godliness because Jesus has come to show us a different way of life, an abundant life, a life of flourishing and peace amidst the noise of our souls. And that, that joy, that peace, that abundant life starts right here where we live, in your chair right now. He is not just our savior. He is not just our king. He is our shepherd who leads us to green pastures and still waters. He restores our soul. And some of you are thinking, Caleb, I, like you just said, like I have all of these things to do. I don't need something else to do. I don't need another thing on my to-do list. I don't need more stuff. And you'd be right. You probably don't need more stuff. But this is not just more stuff. Isn't Jesus all about grace? Yeah, he is all about grace. There is grace for when we mess up and inevitably do not practice these things. But we need to know that Jesus is all about grace and that he offers that grace as we follow him. He offers a way of life, a way of living that provides rest as we follow him. In Matthew 11, <clears throat> Jesus gives us a description both of his teachings and of his heart for you and me. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, <clears throat> and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are good words, aren't they? <laughs> When we hear the word yoke, we think of a farming instrument, and rightfully so, that people in Jesus' time would have understood that too. It's an agrarian culture. Largely, they're going to understand what a yoke is, even the city folk in that day. It's a tool that bears weight, and the people of Jesus' day, like I said, would have had the same thoughts, but they also would have understood this as another thing. See, the rabbis of the day would refer to their belief system, what they said and taught to their disciples as a yoke. They would speak of the Old Testament law as a yoke, a heavy thing to carry, a burdensome thing, hard and heavy, but good. And so Jesus stands up and he says that his way, his yoke as a teacher is light and easy, and it is not burdensome. It's not like the Old Testament law. It's not legalism, right? Unlike what everyone was teaching and saying, his way of life was different. It was life-giving. And as we wrap up here, I want to be really clear that following Jesus and practicing these habits don't mean that every day will be rainbows and butterflies. As we told students this week, literally one of the last things I told them before they got off the bus, most of life is not spent in the valley. And it's also not spent on the mountaintop. Most of life is spent in the hard middle of the mountain where it is steep and slow going and just straight up boring, right? Certainly there are times in the valley and the Lord meets us there and there are times on the mountaintops too uh, as well. <clears throat> but most of life is just right there in the middle. And as we said earlier, life is by no means easy or perfect and following Jesus will not make it so. But if we're actually serious about following Jesus, if we really do want to, want to apprentice under Jesus, then we will not just 
follow his teachings, but also how he lived. We will be like Mary who came to his feet amidst a busy room, who uh, found him amidst the crowd, sat with him, watched him, and adored him. We will choose the good portion. By taking up the yoke of Jesus and learning not just his teachings, but his life, we find rest for our souls. We find rest for our bodies. We discover the life we were meant to live. We find a way of life that boosts the signal and cuts out all of the noise. This is what deep, meaningful life in Christ looks like. A daily tuning in to the Lord through spiritual disciplines, through the habits of Jesus. I realize that I'm not arguing for anything new here. If you've been in and around church at all, like we said, this might sound like another sermon begging you to read your Bible, to pray, and to come to church more. And it's certainly not less than that. And on the surface, you'd be right. This is not new information, but it is revolutionary. Because fully following Jesus is revolutionary. It is a rebellion against the world and its principalities. That's what following Jesus means. Are you worried and troubled? Do you labor under heavy burdens? Then take up the easy light yoke of Jesus and learn from him how to follow the Lord. Practice the habits of Jesus and under his yoke, you will find rest for your soul, both in eternity and in the present. Friends, church, let's keep the signal louder than the noise around us by practicing the habits of Jesus, by following not just his teachings, but his life and how he lives. Let's pray. Father, you are good. What you do is good. Lord, I pray that we we would see Jesus for who he really is, not just... Um, <clears throat> not just a good teacher, not just a person who has um, come and said some nice platitudes, some nice things, Lord, but as someone who has come to change everything, to flip, up, to flip our world upside down, a new paradigm of living. God, give us eyes to see the real Jesus of Nazareth, the ancient of days. Not the one we grew up on, grew up on, or the one we see in TV, but who you really are. Lord, help us to follow you, to love you, and to see what it means to tune into you, to boost the signal and to cut out the noise. Lord, give us grace and patience as we struggle and strive in this, and give us community around us to embolden us and show us how this works. We ask all this in your son's name, the only name that saves the name of Jesus. Amen.